All right. Hey guys, welcome back to Handling It. I'm your host, Catherine. And as you know, I thought I had my life all figured out and then I realized I actually didn't, but I'm handling it. And one of the best ways that I've learned how to do that is to talk with others on how they're handling their own lives. This week, I'm chatting with actor Usman Ali. Usman has starred in a number of theater productions and films and has played characters in an extensive list of television shows, including 68 Whiskey, On Becoming a God in Central Florida, Suits, Veep, and more. Born in Swaziland and growing up throughout Africa, Usman moved to the States for school and began his career in acting working in the Chicago theater scene. Since then, he's starred in a wide variety of roles, and in today's episode, we'll be talking about some of the characters he's played throughout his career, as well as the importance of establishing how you want to be seen and represented as an actor when you're taking a role. We'll also be diving into how the COVID-19 pandemic is shaking up Hollywood and impacting the way future projects will be conducted moving forward. Now, I am really excited for you all to hear this episode, so get comfortable, turn up the volume, and I hope you enjoy. Today, we're joined by Usman Ali. Usman, thank you so much for setting aside the time to chat. Oh, yeah. Thank you for having me. So for those who don't know, you have quite an extensive career. I mean, you've done work in television. You've, you know, had a huge uh, history in film. You were in the recent thriller, The Hunt. And you're also an Obie Award winning actor. You have a really extensive career in theater as well. So I'm really interested to hear how this history and acting began with you. Um, you are also, you were born in Swaziland and, um, I read that you were actually, you grew up in Africa until you came to college here in the States, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. So how did you get into acting? How did you get into theater and wanting to really dive into this industry? Um, you know, I was very lucky that I was probably about, um, I would say 11. Mm -hmm. I was introduced to Shakespeare. Really? An English teacher of mine. The works of Shakespeare. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not that. Um, The works of William Shakespeare by an English teacher of mine. And she had just noticed that I really enjoyed kind of doing little skits and sketches and things like that in front of my classmates. And so she was like, look, you should read this. Um, She gave me Mark Antony's um, speech from Julius Caesar. And she was like, I think you could perform this in front of the school. And so I was in school in Nairobi, Kenya at the time, and she, um, yeah, she worked on it with me, and I performed in front of school, and it was, you know, well-received, and Mm -hmm. it kind of gave me the bug. And also what it did for me was it created a sense of um, uh, status, you know, something that I was craving amongst my peers, that I could do something different. Um, Again, I was just lucky to have teachers like her, her name was Mrs. Lee, and teachers in general who were always able to discern that I had some kind of potential or quality in this field, uh, whether it was English teachers or then later on, whether it was uh, drama teachers as well. They just felt like I had something there. And, you know, I wasn't always the most, I was like a mixed up kid. I got into mm-hmm. trouble and stuff like that. And they, they just seemed to have found that this was a way to kind of keep me focused and they felt like I had something. So that's how it sort of started for me. I did the International Baccalaureate program Mm -hmm. in high school. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the IB. So it's a very intense high school, like the last two years of high school program with a testing that's done from abroad and whatnot. It's based on the French system of education. Okay. Um, And so that was pretty intense. And I 
I worked a lot at a theater as a higher level class. I guess this, the equivalent maybe in the American systems would be AP. Um, and I, um, you know, I got to read a lot of really interesting plays. I read The Glass Menagerie by Tennessee Williams, and I saw a film production of it which featured John Malkovich, and I sort of fell in love with that play and that role. And so, like, when I was in 12th grade, I directed it and had a couple of my classmates in it, full production, where we put the lights ourselves. We, like, you know, did everything in the theater. It was very student-run. And then when I came to the United States, I just... You know, I knew my parents wouldn't be particularly thrilled about me wanting to be in the theater. Um, and so I was like, well, I don't know what I want to do. I'll just go try to get into a liberal arts college. Mm-hmm. And so I, um, I just applied to a bunch. I had a math teacher in, when I was living in Tanzania, in East Atlanta, when I was in high school, who told me about this school called Lewis and Clark College, which is a very small <laughs> liberal arts college in Portland, Oregon, like uh-huh. 1,800 students. Uh, and she said, you should apply there. I went there. They gave me the most financial aid, so I packed up yeah. from Why not? Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, yeah, and I went to Portland. So that was sort of the start. And when I was in Portland, I was an undergraduate, and I double majored in cultural anthropology and theater. And then I was like, well, I guess I'll go get a master's. And I went and got my MFA in acting. And the way I justified that to my family was that, you know, if I can do this, I could potentially become a professor one day. Mm-hmm. And being a professor is uh, much more uh, <laughs> acceptable in my community uh, than, um, than being an actor. So luckily, right after that, I, I started to find some success in theater pretty quickly. So I may not have been doing what potentially they wanted me to be doing, but it seemed like I was doing it well enough. So mm-hmm. as long as I'm doing it well, that's fine. Right, right. Yeah. So that's sort of the, the, the condensed version of my journey. Sure. So then after you finished your master's, you actually uh, went up to Chicago and started doing theater there. So Mm -hmm. what was that like in terms of, I mean, how do you go about that and just, you know, getting into projects? (laughs) Yeah, I, um, you know, I I decided to apply for an internship at the Looking Glass Theater Company. And I was really big Mm -hmm. on uh, community outreach and educational outreach. And so I didn't apply to their acting program or anything. I applied to Looking Glass's outreach program. And so I'd like to become a teaching artist. So I went there uh, in like in the coldest month to Chicago. It must have been December or January. I was freezing. And I'd come from my, my graduate degrees in Florida. And so to come from Florida to Chicago in the middle of winter was horrible. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, what a culture shock. But um, I just sort of made myself visible. You know, I was in whenever I was at Looking Glass, I was in their education outreach program. Then I started doing like phone-a-thon for them, like calling people and asking for money. Mm-hmm. I was just so involved that everybody in the theater community, sorry, the theater company over there seemed to know who I was. And then whenever I had the time to, I would like sit in on rehearsals for plays that they were having mm-hmm. just so I could watch. And again, they had a familiarity of, oh, that's the guy who does um, the education program for us. I heard he's an actor too. Okay. Um, and I got really lucky because I went to a general audition. I was doing like... Um, I did a couple of small theater company plays where, you know, you've got 80 people in the house, 20 people in the house, five people watching you um, for free, not making any money. And then I went to a general audition for Steppenwolf and Looking Glass. And it was a combined, they were doing it together. And I remember it was a, as a non-equity actor at the time, I wasn't part of the union. I had to just sort of wait to be seen. And I remember I got there early in the morning at about 8, and I didn't get seen until about 5 p.m., so I sat there the whole time. 
and I remember that the the mod the guy who was running it was like, "Hey guys, we're almost done." Um, but so and I was I was supposed to go in next, and they're like, "Sorry, they're not going to see you. They're done." But then the artistic director of Looking Glass, the name was Phil Smith, came out and he saw me. And he said, "Oh, I know Smiley. He works for us. Come on in." I went in, and he said to Erica Daniels, who was a casting director at Steppenwolf, oh, this is Osman. He's a fantastic actor. And Phil had never seen me act before. So they watched me do an audition, and Erica said, I think I might have something for you. And then she called me back for an audition for a play they were doing, and I booked it. And that awesome. was kind of the start in earnest of my career in Chicago. Yeah, well, you know, I say that to a lot of people because I feel like it's the case in every industry. You really have to make yourself as noticed as possible and sign up for extra shifts, you know, be the first one there for a practice or rehearsal or any, anything. If somebody offers you an opportunity, Hey, you want to sit on this meeting, go like sit in, get your, your face out there and your name out there. And I think that's the best way to do it. Yeah. I mean, it certainly worked for me and I just kind of continued that vein throughout my career I just I wanted people to recognize who I was even if they didn't know my name they're like oh I know this guy or I've Mm -hmm. seen this guy um and it didn't and I always stress that it doesn't necessarily have to be in the field of acting you just want to be involved in some capacity and so for me it was through being a teaching artist and being in their education department and doing phone-a-thon I remember they one of the ensemble members at Looking Glass was like, oh, I heard you raised like six grand for us in like one night. That was so great. And I was like, oh yeah, that was me. And you know, <laughs> those sorts of conversations start to lead to other things. So yes, there's a, a huge amount of luck involved in what you do. There's a huge amount of preparation and preparedness that you need to be an actor. Um, but there's also about timing, right? Making sure you're there and visible. Sure, sure. So after doing a lot of work in theater, you then gravitated to television and film. And for TV, your television career, you know, you've done a lot. You were in HBO's Veep, Netflix's A Series of Unfortunate Events, USA's Suits, Showtime's On Becoming a God in Central Florida, to name a few. (laughs) Now, they're all really different roles. I mean, I've seen you act in, you know, Suits and A Series of Unfortunate Events. They're quite different roles. So is it sort of a balancing act or do you like that versatility? I like that versatility. And I also feel like it keeps things interesting and exciting for me. Um, mm-hmm. You know, working on television shows and film can become kind of, uh, not dull, but you know, if you're doing the same formula, for example, every right. single time you're on set, it can get a bit redundant for you. And so there is something about having the opportunity to be artistically, um, explorative in some ways do you know what I mean mm-hmm. and I've had that opportunity a lot with the kinds of roles I've played um I've been fortunate that I've worked with directors and and producers who have looked beyond their perception of my ethnicity when mm-hmm. it comes to casting me in certain roles uh that are willing to open up casting to people of different ethnicities um and to know that we are more than just our skin tone not to ignore our skin tone. I'm not asking for erasure of my ethnicity either. Sure. Um, but I am asking for the opportunity to, you know, embody a character with what I bring to the table. And, and it's a variety of things that is potentially quite different from what you usually see on screen. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I've been lucky that way. And I've been lucky that I'm, I'm surrounded by people on my team, quote unquote, who... Um, also appreciate that sort of versatility because that doesn't always happen. You know, in Hollywood, Mm -hmm. 
there's always this talk that people have about branding and like, what's your brand? And honestly, look, that might work for some people and more power to them, but it's not something that's really interested me very much. I feel like especially young actors are in this rush to brand themselves without mm -hmm. actually knowing who they are first as a person, uh, but be also just as an artist, you know, what do you want to do as an artist? How do you, what kind of work do you want to do? And why do you want to limit yourself by saying that you're just one brand? Well, I once, I remember there was a manager that I spoke to once who I potentially was going to hire. And she was like, well, you've done so many different things. I don't know how to pitch you or sell you. And so it was almost like a bad thing to her that I had worked with different shows. And I knew that this was not the person for me then, um, to work with. And luckily, you know, I've surrounded myself with people who agree that that sort of versatility is important. Right. And I think just as an artist in general, it's really important to know what you're interested in, what you gravitate towards, and how you want to be represented and seen by other mm -hmm. people. Um, and again, I think that goes with a lot of things, a lot of projects people work on. Yeah. I mean, look, there's a lot of power in saying no. Mm -hmm. uh, to certain things and I understand and recognize that I'm in a position in my career where I can maybe afford to say no more so than other people right. um, or perhaps early in their career but I always like to tell people that from a very early time in my career as an actor I started saying no to stuff mm -hmm. um, you know there was a one time when I, I did a, a television show where I had to play like this really base level terrorist type guy and i remember i kept saying no and then eventually i was like you know what i'll just do this knock it out i'll get myself in front of these producers it'll be great blah, blah. i'll just do it and i remember regretting doing it and the process of doing it on playing this role really bothered me while i was doing it and after it was all over i said to myself yeah i don't want to put myself through that again where i you know it was it was particularly difficult because i was playing this terrorist role while do, between scenes on one of the televisions that they had on set, they were showing a live um, view of the San Bernardino shootings that had happened. And I remember just thinking, like, what am I doing here? Why am I playing this role? Why did I give in to the pressure to be seen by some new producers and make a little bit of money and, and whatnot? And what have I given up by playing this role? And so after I did that, I decided that, you know, I have to be more clear about what I am willing to do and what I am not willing to do. Mm -hmm. And there's always a level of fear when you make that choice that, oh, will this mean I'm never going to work again? Will people get upset that I'm saying no? But the reality is, no, no, people don't really care if you say no. They're like, okay, well, what's next? We'll find something else for him. I think um, sometimes we let our fear stop us from making decisions that are really beneficial for our own sense of self, you know? Of course. And, you know, to sort of go along with that, I was curious because you know, with you as an individual of color and also having a unique perspective in the sense that you were born and raised in a different country and then coming to the States and working on roles here in the States, I feel a lot of times with actors, um, hearing them talk about roles every now and then you hear someone say, oh, I really, you know, saw a piece of myself in that role and that's why I did it. With your career and seeing that you've played so many different characters, has there been a character, a role that you've had where you felt, you know, you were being portrayed as yourself? Um, that's a really good question. And I don't know if I can really answer that very truthfully. I think there's bits and pieces of, I try to 
you know, when you're when you're playing a role, it's really important to take the truth and the logic that that character has that you see on the page and make sense of it. And mm -hmm. my job as an actor, I've always felt, is to present this character's logic to the audience so that eventually, maybe even against their better judgment, they just they start to empathize for this guy. Mm -hmm. um, and that they feel, or at the very least, understand where he's coming from. Uh, when I did this play called The Invisible Hand, and that's the one you referenced that um, uh, we received an OB for, and I was playing somebody who could be um, identified, I guess, as a terrorist. But this character didn't feel that way about himself. He felt like he was doing something very just. And the play started off with him being quite violent and very scary. And my job by the end of the night was to get... For me, it was always, I need to get this audience on my side. Whether they want to or not, I need them to eventually understand that whether they... They may not agree with what this guy is doing or saying, but I want them to understand his logic. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? I want you to get where I'm coming from and at least be like, yeah, it makes sense. I don't want him to do what he's doing, but it makes sense. So when I when you talk about seeing parts of myself in a character... I'm not really sure. It's for me. It's more so about finding the truth that's on that on the page that the writer is trying to create, and maybe marrying that with my understanding of the world, you mm -hmm. know, and my understanding of people. Um, so there are parts in all of them. There are parts of me, I think, that are in the Hook Handed Man a series of unfortunate events. You know, mm -hmm. uh, when he this idea of struggling for um, uh, for family. Um, you know, there's a, a very, there's a scene in season three, and I'm not sure how much you've seen on the show, but there's a scene where I sit down to have dinner or lunch with um, Olaf, Count Olaf, and Esme, and, and one of the kids, and I'm very excited and happy to be there. And they'd say that, you know, dinner is for family members only, you need to leave, Hoki. And um, I remember that moment sitting at that table and being like, not only am I the guy with the hooks in my hands, I'm also the only person of color on this table. And there is a really interesting commentary being made here on various levels. And that's something that I have felt myself being the only person of color in an environment and how you feel. So when I play that scene, I can feel emotionally honest about what Pokey or Bernald, as he's known as, is mm -hmm. going through because I understand that feeling of not belonging or being told that you don't belong for some reason, for some you know reason that exists on your body. Similarly, you know, I play a character on 68 Whiskey right now, um, and I play it. He's a British Pakistani medical surgeon. Mm -hmm. And he talks about being coming from a family that's been persecuted their entire lives from when they were persecuted in Pakistan, they went to England and were persecuted there. And so that sense, again, of not belonging or that sense of being uh, an outsider because of your ethnicity, that's certainly something I, I, um, relate to and so I feel like there's a part of me there so there's definitely I find it in all the roles I play sure and yeah I think that goes back to you know our conversation earlier where when you as an artist knowing who you are not just as an artist but as an individual and taking <clears throat> those experiences and those feelings and emotions into a role yeah I and mean, I think you know so when people are like 21 years old and coming out of college and they're like well this is my brand I'm like but you're 21 you don't even <laughs> 
you have plenty of time to figure out who you are. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, let alone your brand. So mm -hmm. that's just my take on it. Look, there are lots of people who brand themselves at an early age and then become huge Instagram stars. And right. And that leads to like fame <laughs> and fortune. So that's what you want. Maybe that's the way to go about it. But it certainly wasn't, it's not how I see myself. Certainly. Well, and then with everything going on right now, I know it's certainly hard to plan for the future, but do you have any projects that you want to sort of dive into? I mean, I know you, you know, have your work in theater and you're also a playwright. Um, is there anything that you're working on or, you know, this time has allowed you to process and start thinking, oh, this is something I do want to get into? It's so interesting because I've been I've been so curious about how to stay creative in this in this time where of in this time of cholera, you know, as we're we're, we're mm -hmm. sitting here and not knowing what's going to happen. Um, and for me, look, I have a family, and so I'm I'm particularly busy with you know with my kid and my, and my wife and assisting her and taking care of him, and she's working from home. So mm -hmm. a lot of our days get taken up by this family unit, and in some ways, in some strange way. Um, it's been this weird kind of blessing as well because I have been able to be home. Mm -hmm. You know, usually when I'm working on a television show, I'm shooting in Atlanta or Vancouver or somewhere else, like away from my family for really extended periods. And so there are times that I, I would think, well, what if I had been out shooting when this all happened and I got stuck there, mm -hmm. you know? And, um, and so, so in a way, I, I, I try to focus on that positivity of creating this, this bond with my family and having the opportunity to do that. But in terms of projects, um, you know, I have writing projects that I've been working on on and off for a, a while now. And I try my hardest to find the opportunity to sit down and, um, and write some. Mm -hmm. But there's also that pressure of feeling like you have to create something. Do you know what I mean? Like, sure. oh, I, I, shouldn't I be writing the next great novel? Or shouldn't I be, you know, working on my craft or whatever? <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and, uh, and when you don't, that day you feel like, oh, what a waste, or people are going to judge me. So I found that my creativity has, has come out in different ways. I picked up the guitar again. So I've been, nice. I've been, I've been working on, you know, learning the guitar again, which has been kind of rewarding and fulfilling in a, a very different way than being an actor. Mm -hmm. um, there are projects that thankfully are still going on in the voiceover world. Um, but that's this whole other ball of wax, because now I've been working on a couple of video games doing but I used to do the motion capture. Well, I can't do the motion capture anymore. So mm -hmm. now that, well, can we get the voice stuff done for video games and for cartoons that I'm working on at the moment? And, you know, all of them are calling in the producers and saying, well, what kind of home studio do you have? I'm like, well, um, not really. So, you know, you have to learn about like, okay, what software should I be downloading? What kind of microphone? What kind of audio interface? How do I get my house to be more quiet with a 10-month-old running around everywhere? Do you know what I mean? Um, so there's, um, there's that adjustment of, like, how do I continue to be an actor and be available to these people who want to work with me? Um, and how can I make these sorts of adjustments? So, you know, my wife and I have been thinking, well, should we convert our garage into, like, a studio space now or something? So these are the, you know, it's hard to say what's going to happen because... Uh, everything's shut down you know, right. in terms of television and film. You know, there are estimates that things won't come back until January or February of next year. Mm. So, yeah, it's just about trying to figure out a new, a new way of feeling fulfilled and and how can you 
process this through through some kind of art, you know? Sure. It's, it's definitely a big question mark <laughs> with uh, a lot of industries, but especially, you know, the entertainment industry. And like you were saying, it's not at all an ideal situation we're in, and it's really unfortunate. However, I think there's certainly a lot of silver linings. Um, yeah. You can really find a lot of blessings in certain situations. I know, like I was just mentioning to you before, I came back to Pennsylvania. I'm around more friends and family now, and I'm learning mm-hmm. to sort of, you know, take in that time. I wouldn't really have had it any other way if, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, and then in terms of creatively, it, it definitely does give you that time. I think we're just such go, go, go people, busy, busy all the time, and it does allow us this moment to breathe, (laughs) recuperate, and sort of look forward on whatever will happen next. Right, and try to understand, like, well, we we talk about when will things come back to normal, but perhaps we have to create a new kind of normal for us Mm -hmm. now. Do you know what I mean? And I do think this is going to be an event that will be in the history books and we'll be talking about, you know, there'll be before pandemic and after pandemic, you know, like what life's been like. And that is... uh, it's scary to think about, you know, but oh yeah, you sort of have to at this point. Um, and, you know, I've been reaching out to other actor friends of mine who are in the industry, just checking in on them. And it, mm-hmm. I, I've been doing these um, these online social media things where I, where I interview them kind of sort of. We just sit and talk on Instagram Live or whatever. And um, the impetus for that was because I wanted to see how they were doing. All of a sudden, these people who I was taking for granted, I'm not seeing anymore. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'd like to see you and talk to you and see how you're doing. How are you coping? Uh, with the hope that maybe some byproduct of this would be that some younger actor or somebody who wants to be in the industry will see this and get something out of it. I don't know. But it's been interesting to suddenly have that uh, desire to see people who you who were accessible to you before, but now aren't, right? Right. Um, and to see how they're coping and how they're dealing in the hopes that maybe it helps you cope and deal. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, communication is definitely really important during all of this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, Usman, thank you so much for coming on. But before you go, since this is handling it and everybody's handling their ups and downs, especially right now in their own way, um, throughout your career, has there been a piece of advice or a lesson you've learned that has helped you get through, you know, certain situations you've been in? Yeah. I think the one thing that I, I always tell people this, um, about a year ago, I was, I was seeing a therapist and mm-hmm. uh, she had asked me the question, um, you know, what would you tell yourself, your, your 15 year old self? It's a very standard therapist question, but um, it had been based on the fact that, you know, when I was 15, I was, I was really struggling with uh, just life in general. So I'm a really hard time. I was probably down in the dumps, had depression and all that. And she said, well, what would you tell them now? Um, and I didn't have anything flowery to say to my 15-year-old self, but I did say that I would tell my 15-year-old self that you will figure it out. And that has been a mantra for me now that I, you know, when things are really not looking great, you will figure it out because you have to you don't have any other options you know i mean i think it's sometimes that sort of dose of reality can be really helpful mm-hmm. um and throughout my life that's what i've done when i've had issues with before i became a citizen when i had issues with immigration you know and things look very daunting and uh, insurmountable i i used to i figured it out though eventually it was tough mm-hmm. but i figured it out um in terms of the career you know 
when you realize that you don't have a choice but to figure out a path forward, it's remarkable how many times that you will be able to do it, you know? Yeah, it really is. And as, as corny as it sounds, you know, never really give up, never doubt a yeah. process and never doubt yourself. So yeah, for sure. <laughs> Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on and yeah, continue to stay safe out there. Yeah, you too. Thank you for having me. It was a real pleasure. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed hearing from Usman. He's worked on such a wide variety of projects from theater to television. And I think his journey of coming to the States and pursuing a career in acting in the arts is a story of perseverance that I know so many people can relate to. And as we talked about in our conversation, It's really important and also extremely beneficial to know what you're looking for in a project before jumping into it. So if it's a role, believe in that role. Know how you want to be seen and portrayed. And no matter what you're doing, I think it's important to know what you're looking to get out of a position or a job and decide if it's the best decision for you when taking it. So thank you to Usman for coming on and thank you guys so much for listening. As always, let me know what you thought of the episode. You can reach us on Instagram at Handling It Podcast and feel free to send us a message and let us hear your thoughts and suggestions. We'll see you next week with a brand new episode, but until then, keep staying safe with everything going on in the world right now and keep handling it. I'll talk to you soon.